I'm so glad that God loved the world and sent Jesus. I'm so glad that James shared his heart in a letter which is available to all of us. He wrote his letter to friends, Jewish brothers and sisters who had come to faith, Christians who were scattered abroad, experiencing a new norm. James knew their faith was wavering, but something was wrong. Their faith wasn't being lived out. His friends were going through the motions and not listening to his brother Jesus. James was experiencing the life that his half-brother offers to all, and James wanted this life for all of his friends. He knows that real faith puts boots on the ground, enabling all to live joyously in spite of hard circumstances and difficult times. Having Jesus as your brother certainly gave James some advantages. But James was on the same journey we are on learning from Jesus so we can live like Jesus. I've been teaching from James for seven weeks now. You may have noticed that James doesn't mince his words in this letter. He knows that genuine faith in Jesus changes the way we think and act. People notice the transformation and God is magnified by the way we treat others. Last week, James told us that genuine faith gives courage to live well in the mess, mostly because Jesus is going to come back soon. Today, James passionately calls out believers who are playing games. But before we open those scriptures, let's pray. Almighty God, ruler of heavens and earth. God, we know you alone are worthy of honor and glory and praise. With you, we can overcome every storm, including the global impact COVID-19 is having on our world today. Right now, Father, we are asking you to heal those who are sick and protect those who are not. We ask you, Father, to give our leaders extra wisdom as they navigate this pandemic and economic uncertainty. Father, we ask that you would strengthen your global church and reveal to us how we can partner together to reach the needs of those around us. Lord, would you calm our fears would you fill us with your hope and your joy and your peace as we continue to trust in you? Would you grow our faith in you? Lord, we ask that you would use this pandemic to pave the way for spiritual renewal. We want your glory and power and healing to be on display. Even now, Father, as we open your word, we ask for ears to hear and courage to respond. It is your word that convicts, encourages, and restores. 
We need to hear from you. So we pray you would remove any distractions. We have always been dependent on you, Father. But this day seems different. We're desperate for you. We need you. Come, Holy Spirit, do your work among us. Teach us and convict us and empower us. Give us courage to act. You are a good, good Father. You are God. We need you today. We need you tomorrow. You are dad. You're our daddy. We pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. Let's turn to James chapter 4, verses 1 to 10. What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. You adulterers. Don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him. And he gives grace generously. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come close to God, and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up in honor. These words are quite sobering, certainly not for the faint of heart. Let me try to put this in perspective. I think James is writing to dear friends. I think he is also writing with a broken heart, pausing often between the words to dry his tears. Try to imagine you adulterers, said tenderly. We always can say this judgmentally, you adulterers. But I don't think that's the way James actually said it. I, I think he said it compassionately, so sad that they were missing out. Maybe it went something like this, you adulterers. 
you have been unfaithful to God. You are cheating on your perfect and wonderful husband. You have been unfaithful to God. And it's breaking my heart. You know, pastors, I think, sometimes have the best jobs in the world. But sometimes it's hard. Let me tell you a story. A few years back, there was, well, a young husband whose name was Oki. That's the name we'll use. Oki had a beautiful Christian wife and a couple Christian children. But Oki bought into the culture's lies and he had an affair. Our leadership found out about it and we went to talk to Oki and to ask Oki to repent of this sin. I remember sitting in his living room along with our friends and sharing with Oki scripture. But his hard heart got to us. He wasn't listening to any of God's words. I remember literally getting on my knees and begging Oki to respond and repent of his sin. There were tears, there were prayers, but Oki was really, really hard. Our leadership team left that living room that night, crying, wondering, hoping that Oki would respond. It did get worse before it got better, and Oki eventually did repent of his sin. But I think this is what James literally was talking about. He's, he's talking to his friends, and he's saying, your attention and your affection and your allegiance have all shifted from God to you. Your selfishness seems so innocent at first. That's how it is with every affair. But you are running from the only relationship that satisfies. Jesus was clear and James was bringing it. Only intimacy with Jesus would bring abundance. Jesus is the only one to quench your thirst or to satisfy your hunger. So James was talking to his brothers and his sisters and saying, you are drinking from the wrong wells. Ones that, well, they won't quench your thirst. You are eating from the wrong bread. Food that will never satisfy your hunger. You are believing the lies. Seductive lies that our culture is shouting. Our culture tells us that prestige and education and success and relationships and family and power and wealth is what counts and that will bring you joy. All they do is scratch an itch, never taking the itch away. James says you are doing what benefits you. You are doing whatever makes you feel good, thinking that your selfishness won't hurt anyone even yourselves. The line that stuck out to me was, you only want what will give you pleasure. 
I believe that James is saying with tears, you are missing it. You are falling short of all that God wants for you. That is why you fight in your quarrel. You want to win. That is why you scheme. You want to get your own way. That is why you do not pray, because all your prayers are self-focused and not God-honoring. You literally are deceiving yourselves and have made God your enemy. When you cozy up with the cosmos, you are committing adultery. You have severed the relationship and made yourself an enemy of God. You know, as we continue in this text, we find um, that James chapter 4, verse 5, is one of the most difficult verses in all of the Bible to translate. I had the privilege um, back a few years of being in the same church as Dr. Douglas Moo out of Trinity. He's one of the scholars that uh, I go to and uh, respect the ability he has to um, help me understand the scriptures. Let me give this a shot. Verse 5 of chapter 4. I think James is saying this, God gave you the scriptures. Do you think they're meaningless? You see, God is intensely jealous for you, your human spirit to be faithful. That's how God wired us. God often refers to Israel as the unfaithful bride of Yahweh. Many of you know the story of Hosea and how the prophet was asked to marry a prostitute so that he might be able to understand how God feels as his people, his beloved bride, continually, day after day, is unfaithful seeking after other relationships and other gods in order to fill, well, the void that only God can fill. All the way through the Old Testament, you'll see this image, especially in Isaiah 54 and Isaiah 61 and Isaiah 62. The church is also referred to as the bride of Christ in the New Testament. In Ephesians chapter 5, we see this clearly. And then the last book in the New Testament in Revelation, um, the Apostle John tells us of the marriage feast of the Lamb. And when Christ receives the church, his bride, James is saying, God doesn't want to be your enemy. He is your good, good husband. Then James quotes Proverbs 3, 34. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Let me pause here just for a moment. James is upset, probably because, again, he knows his friends are missing out. God has so much more for them. Basically, he is reminding them they have a choice. You can be friends 
or enemies with God. If you want to be enemies with God, continue to listen to the lies. Continue in your arrogance. You want to be friends, you need to reconcile with God. Then James gives us two steps of reconciliation. The first step is found in verse 7. And James writes this, Humble yourselves. Humble yourselves. Humbling yourselves means that you recognize that God is God, that you are not the leader, nor are you in charge. You don't fight or resist. Instead, you surrender, resign, and relinquish. James says, come close to God. Reestablish your relationship with God. It's broken. Let me read chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. Come close to God, and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. James is saying, repent of your sin. Confess your sin. Wash your hands or or stop doing evil. Purify your hearts. Stop thinking evil. Let there be tears, sorrow, and deep grief. This is a big deal to James. His friends are treating sin casually. The term, let there be tears, tearful grief for the calamity of serious sin in your life. Let there be sorrow a period of public mourning for sin that reflects tearful distress. Let there be deep grief, mourning for days, if not weeks. Back in this day, the early church, this first century, normal this would be a normal public response for sin. We don't seem to see sin in the same way. We don't seem to respond to our sin in the same way. But the scriptures are really clear the importance of confession. In Psalm 66, 18, the psalmist writes this, If I had not confessed the sin in my heart, the Lord would have not listened. In Proverbs 28, 13, The scriptures say, people who conceal their sins will not prosper. That's a fact. But if they confess their sin, if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. There's a very interesting passage found in 2 Chronicles chapter 7. The magnificent temple of God had just been completed and dedicated. 
This was an amazing, grand moment in Israel's history. One night, though, soon after this had happened, God appeared to Solomon. And this is what God tells Solomon in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, starting at verse 13. At times, God says, I might shut up the heavens so that no rain falls or command grasshoppers to devour your crops or send plagues among you. Then, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and forgive their sins and restore their land. Humility plays a huge part in confession. We do recognize that God is in charge and his ways are best and his principles need to be listened to. Humility is a big deal to God because selfishness to God is adultery. The New Testament writers focus on humility. They often bring us to a place of, of trying to understand that this is not an option for someone who walks with God. In Micah 6, 8, the prophet said it clearly. The Lord has told you what is good, and this is what he requires of you, to do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. I love Micah's direct approach. For all of us who maybe are a little slow, he lets us know God requires us to do a few things. To do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly, be in relationship with God, submitting to God, and ruthlessly dealing with our sin when we rebel against our good, good Father. Again, we turn to Christ's words in the Sermon on the Mount. Just about every lesson that we've had from James, we go back to the words of Jesus. He had been so influenced by his brother. But in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 5, um, Jesus shares with each one of us how important being humble is. Remember, the Sermon on the Mount was Jesus's longest recorded sermon. It was a sermon to be able to teach us how the kingdom is going to function and look. Basically, if we walk with God, this is how we are going to live. And in the Beatitudes, right in the very beginning, Jesus says this, God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. 
The second step of reconciliation is resist the devil. The enemy is powerful, but but Jesus is stronger. Jesus, when he was tempted by the devil, used the truth of scriptures to resist. We need to use the truth of scriptures. Memorizing scripture has become more and more important to me. In fact, this week, as we're meeting in our spur group over Zoom, um, one of the guys was sharing out of Hebrews 12, or excuse me, how Romans 12, how important these verses were to him. And I shared with the guys at that time how important memorizing scripture has become to me again. When I was smaller and I was growing up in Awana, I would memorize lots of verses. During our times of serving at camp, we would memorize chapters of verses. But somehow as we get older, some there is something um, that happens. We seem to be putting memory um, just for kids. But I'm finding myself memorizing and repeating over and over the truths of Scripture in order to help me and encourage me and strengthen me. Maybe that might be something that you begin doing once again. Part of resisting The devil, though, is praying. Prayer is a powerful weapon to be used in resisting or defeating the enemy. I am so grateful that the scriptures help each one of us understand prayer just a little bit more. But the Apostle Paul, while he was in prison, shared with us just about prayer. It's found in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. And this is what the Apostle Paul writes. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Well, we've got a whole lot of things to worry about today. In fact, every time we listen to the news, there is more fear. There's more uncertainty. But Paul writes in a pretty desperate situation that he had, don't worry about anything. Instead, go to your father. You see, the enemy is going to, well, try to make you fear. The enemy is going to bring doubts about your heavenly father and his strength and his power and his authority. But Paul says, don't worry about it. Instead, pray about everything. Everything that you might be potentially worrying about. Tell God what you need. Thank God for his faithfulness and all the things he's already done. Then you will experience God's peace, God's assurance that, yes, he is in control. What a verse to memorize. What a verse to say over and over and over again, especially during this COVID-19 pandemic. 
you know, another thing that I realize is how important corporate prayer is. And part of this shelter at home, this um, time where we're being separate from folks, I, I'm missing corporate prayer. Although people are doing it differently now. People are using Zoom or people are just praying with each other over FaceTime or over the phone. One of the really neat things that that I have noticed in Scripture is when Jesus prayed, he often prayed in front of people, not only to model, but because he understood the power of corporate prayer. In the last hours of his time here on the planet, in John chapter 17, he was praying to the Father in the presence of, of his disciples. And he was praying for the disciples and praying for even the disciples that were to come in, well, years to come. But in John 17, Jesus prayed this. He said, protect these folks by the power of your name and help them stay unified. Jesus prayed for those disciples, knowing the power of the enemy, but actually that the power of God was stronger. He asked for their protection. He asked his father to protect his friends. In Romans 15, at the end of um, Paul's letter to the, the, the Christians in Rome, he wrote this, very interesting. Join in my struggle by praying to God for me. I love it. I love when Paul says this. He's saying, I want you to pray because you will join in what I am doing. Literally, just a few lines later, Paul says this, pray for my rescue. Pray that I will be literally physically uh, rescued. And pray for the response of those folks that I'm going to be preaching to. So pray for my rescue, my Roman friends, and pray that people will respond to the good news of the gospel Because as you pray for me, you're going to enter my struggle. You're going to be part of the army that's going out, advancing the kingdom. And then he ends up, if you do that, we're both going to be encouraged. Corporate prayer matters. Praying for others in the midst of others. Asking for God to protect and to rescue and to bring response. You know, I think during this time, community support is critical. It's just going to look different. I love receiving emails from you folks where you're saying prayer groups are popping up all over. We're learning differently how to depend on God and how to pray together. I think this is one of the beauties of having the pandemic. Certainly not the pain and the hurt But God's people are praying. 
God's people are coming together. So let me wrap this up. James is saying, be humble, resist the devil, and God will lift you up. What a promise. What an opportunity for each one of us to move forward in spite of the situations and the circumstances. What a promise. God says, grow in your humility. Grow in your dependence on me. Be relentless in your confession of sin. Because when you do, my relationship with you changes. You resist the devil. You have the power to do that. My word has given you authority. And my presence in your life will give you power. If you're humble and you resist the devil, God will lift you up. He alone will give you strength and wisdom and perspective and grow your faith. You'll be honored as a good and a faithful servant. You'll have wings for today. You know, James spells it out and reminds us that the choice is ours. If we continue in our arrogance, leaving God outside our lives, that we remain in control, trying to do life alone and separated from God, we will fear and we will fail. God not only won't be, let me say it this way, God then becomes our enemy. And I just don't want God as my enemy. I want him as my friend. I want him to be my king. I want him to be able to guide and direct and nourish and encourage. And that's what a relationship with God brings. You know, I'm not sure you all have a relationship. I'm not sure you all have come to a place in your life recognizing that Jesus is Savior, that he died on the cross so that you and I might be saved from the penalty of sin. But not only that, we might be restored to a relationship, a relationship that God intended from the beginning of time, and that he will walk with us during these days, day or night, 24-7. And that someday we might eternally or spend eternity with our Father. This is a blessed hope. It is our confidence. You know, our doors are closed. But our church is not shut down. I hope 
you're doing well. I hope you're walking with God. I hope your prayer life is different. But if you're struggling, I hope you let us walk with you on the journey. Let me pray. Father, once again, we know that you give us your word for reason. We know, God, that your word guides us and directs us. Lord, I have a feeling, though, that that your word was convicting today. There might be some of us who have kind of pushed you aside. We haven't been very humble or dependent. We've been doing life by ourselves. We pray even now, God, that that would change, that our sin would be dealt with and confessed. Because once that happens, you've told us if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Our, our relationship with you could be restored immediately. So I pray, Father, that we as a church would be relentless in our confession, that we would walk with you, that we would resist the enemy, and that you would lift us up. We pray all these things in your son's amazing name. Amen.